the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Say there are two things on earth that will last forever God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. See how I worked that in there, Jacob? I worked it in there tonight. And his friend, Jacob. I see how you did that. (laughs) Well, making some progress. At least I'm remembering, though. Stick it in there even even verbally. Uh, Good to be with you, folks. Thanks for being here. This is The Bible Live. Uh, Our chance to just work our way through the entire Bible every year. And we start off in November. We're starting our 17th time our 17th journey through the scriptures uh, this year. And uh, what we do is, of course, we read some from the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then we uh, make a leap and jump over into the uh, New Testament, the, well, what Jacob calls it Christian scriptures. I, I let him get away with that every now and then, but but we revere Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus just as much. I mean, we it's just as much word of God. I, I told is, you what happened when I was at somebody's house once, right, Sophie? Uh, no, tell me. Oh, well, I was at a house, and they had uh, about 10, 12 guests, and I happened to mention, I said, well, and I was making a joke. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember and I this. Said, well, over on your side of the Bible, and this lady corrected me and said, "It's all our side of the Bible." And I realized <laughs> I had heard a rabbi say that speaking at a Christian church, uh-huh. and I thought that was funny. I, I was trying to be funny, and I realized that didn't go down that well. <laughs> well, no, I understand it. I think I get it. Uh, but the the truth is, we actually do revere. I, frankly, um, in some ways. In some ways, the new, the the Hebrew scriptures, I, I have found them, uh, in some ways, uh, through my life at least, often even more interesting, more vital, more uh, relevant, uh, because you, you know you see the real people. We get there are more stories, I think, uh, about. 
people, about their journeys, about their, and I identify so much with them that, uh, that our life with God, walking with God is not a matter of us living in a kind of a rarefied spiritual bubble where we walk through problems with life without any problems, without any difficulties, without any uh, hurts or failures or disappointments. The 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 difference is, it's we live the same lives. I mean, lots of lots of people lived horrible, difficult, stressful, disappointing lives. And when I tell people, Jacob, about my life background, you know, being an orphan and passed around to families and all, I don't remember any pain in that. I honestly don't remember suffering uh, as a part of that. I don't. I don't remember ever being abused or anything like that. And frankly, sometimes I look at my life and I think, wow, you know, I've just, God has just been so gracious and so good. And it's just amazing from coming uh, into faith uh, when I was about eight years old and uh, beginning my journey, my walk with God of faith. And and just, it's just been an adventure. I mean, it's not like it's been no challenges, no difficulties at all. But I'm saying generally speaking, compared to what many people endure, uh, it's just been a joyful triumphant, victorious journey of growth and, and learning and deepening in, in, in the Lord. Uh, I can't complain at all in, in any sense, a real complaint of difficulties. Uh, but the point is, is that I, I think the, the, the Christian life or the a life of walking with God is not about, it's not about us kind of leaping up into some level of existence that is, that, that is, Outside of all uh, problems and difficulties. In other words, we don't go live in a monastery. We don't kind of escape all of the life. The The point of, of our faith is that God comes down into our reality, down into our suffering, down into our uh, trials and tribulations and disappointments and so on and struggles. He comes down into them and with him there and going through them with us, it, it transforms it. I mean, it doesn't. It's still a struggle. It's still, a, but but somehow it's changed because we can go through with grace. We can go through with 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 faith and trust and and uh, you know it, it's it's an amazing. Com- I, I try to make this clear. I try to explain this uh, week after week. Uh, in one of our classes at Lackland, we deal with this as what we call the hotel class. Uh, it's the class right after the uh, basic trainees have graduated from basic training and they're going on now to tech school and they have their moms and dads and families with them and so on. I uh, had a little over uh, 200, 250 uh, young, well, young men and women, about 100 and so, 105 or 110 graduates, new airmen, and then all their family members this this morning with them that had come to watch them graduate. And I always struggle to help people see that, that, that uh, you know, it's not about us leaping up and becoming these spiritual giants that kind of live above all the uh, difficulties and trials and challenges of life. But it's about God coming down into those with us, and and they are transformed. I don't I don't know the I don't know if they're made easier to bear or not. I know folks who have gone through real struggles, really uh, difficult, powerful things that that I that would probably have floored me. Uh, and uh, one, of, one of them is a very good friend of mine. He's, I would call him probably one of my closest friends. He's been things through things that I cannot even imagine, the struggles, the difficulties. 
and yet he does it with grace and, and with with courage and without complaint. And, and I, I'm just astounded. I really amazed. But that is that's the life of God. That's that's where we prove our worth. I mean, I think that's what the world is looking for is for believers and people who live it out in in, in the experience. That's that's the kind of a life I think it can really be can impact lives because it's easy like if you live in a you know kind of a bubble of goodness and everything but when you go through the same struggles as everybody else and then they see you go through it with such courage and grace and all it it's it's um it's amazing that that is the supernatural life and uh we are called to live supernatural lives not just sort of nice uh cozy little comfortable religious life but supernatural responses to life anyway i got on my little hobby horse there i i but, but it's a point well made it's something that we all need to understand uh about our life in in uh, with god our walk and journey with him well we we've finished up uh the book of exodus that was our reading schedule for this past week um we've seen moses uh, be raised up by the Lord and brings, uh, you know, born, uh, <laughs> saved from a massacre of, of, of killing all the children and put into the Nile River and then rescued from the Nile by the daughter of the Pharaoh and then raised in the palace of Egypt for 40 years as, as royalty, educated and, and, and with all the benefits and all the perks of riches and power. And then he turns his back on all of that, uh, chooses to be identified with the people, his, the people of Israel there, in, uh, having become a nation of slaves there in, in Egypt. So then he's driven uh, out. He lives 40 years on the backside of the desert, raising sheep and having a nice, quiet, peaceful little life. And uh, I suppose he got very comfortable out there, just nice wife, Zipporah, and his, you know, supportive father-in-law and i'm guessing that moses was really happy out there uh children family sheep you know just doing his job doing well and all and and then god comes along and interrupts it (laughs) with that burning bush and this vision of of god's holiness and goodness and god's call using calling him and to bring the people of israel out of egypt uh, to help fulfill that promise that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he's going to take them back to, the, to Canaan, back to that promised land. And Moses does it with some complaints, with some hesitation. Lord, I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. And so he gives him Aaron and so on. We know the story. We've walked through it this month. And uh, he goes back in uh, the last 40 years of his life, these three these three thirds, uh, 40 years each, uh, he spends uh, bringing the, the people out of Egypt. Uh, and you notice something speaking of his age? He's uh, How much is he when he dies? 120. Right, 20. 40 years in Egypt, 40, 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years leading him back out of Egypt. Yeah, 40, 40, 40. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, there's a lot of that goes on in the Bible. This uh, sevens and forties and uh, let me see what other numbers. Twelves come up a lot, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure what to make of all of that. I'm a math major. That was my primary undergraduate degrees in mathematics. But in spite of that, somehow I've never gotten caught up very much 
in the numerology of the scriptures. That's a whole area that I just haven't ever really seriously delved into. I know that it's there. I know that the Hebrew alphabet, the, the letters have numeric values and so on. And there's there are things that people find and discover that are just astounding. And, yeah, and I know that it's a, referenced. You can actually take a word that's, say, worth 400 in Hebrew and subtract a word that's 300 in Hebrew and you'll get a hundred left over, which is another word. And I'm always thinking, you know, somebody... See how it gets too complicated. Yeah, somebody had a lot of time on their hands. I think so, I think so. But that's that's the reality of the Hebrew language, which is uh, fascinating. But anyway, these numbers can have great significance and meaning, and uh, 40 is one of those that figures in there very, very prominently um, Oh, over and over again. But uh, we have finished up the book of Exodus now, and we're going on, we're starting into oh, yeah. the book of Leviticus this did, coming did week. You, did you want to take... Let's get Joe on the line. Yeah, Joe is there waiting for us. And um, but just to let you know what we're going to do, we're going to talk about tonight, the, the book of Exodus. I want us to visit this whole idea of the tabernacle. I'd like to get some of your thoughts on that, what it means yeah. to you. I had a, a lot of questions about that this morning, even in, in one of the classes, interestingly enough. So <laughs> if we could talk about that. And, and some of the we're, we're accustomed to talk about the prophecies about Jesus, about Messiah. In in the scriptures, you know, we uh, we often talk about well over three hundred or a few over three hundred uh, prophecies about predictions about uh, the Messiah, where he would be born, what kind of life, some of the characteristics of his life and his ministry that that were told uh, centuries before, his lineage, his ancestry, the you know, his, his the people group from which he would be born, and we talk about that a lot. But there are a lot of predictions that aren't actual verbal predictions; they are pictured predictions of uh, somehow uh picturing the, the 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 redemptive plan of god and the redemptive process the reality uh, we talked about you know even the land of egypt being a picture of in some ways of heaven of 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 place of where god's people dwell with him and so uh there there are these images that i'd like to if we can i'd love for you to kind of talk to us about some of the imagery some of the pictures that we find in the Hebrew scriptures. And we, uh, well, how about if we actually get four examples? That'd be great. There's four examples where the Exodus actually says, Moses, you're not getting what I'm telling you, God says. Uh, let me show you a picture. And there's four places where God actually, it says in Exodus, he had to show Moses a picture. So I, I guess he just kind of made it appear. I'd be fascinated to hear that. Let's go, uh, like you say, and pick up. Uh, let me make sure I got my buttons all pushed here that the way they should be. That one should be on, and then we'll go and visit with Joe. Joe is on the air with us tonight. Thanks for calling in, Joe. Appreciate hearing uh, from you. God bless you. Uh, I, uh, both of you, you and Jacob, uh, Merry Christmas to you, and Happy Hanukkah to Jacob. Thank you. Well, Thank happy you Happy Hanukkah so to you. <laughs> okay. Uh, you, you know what? Uh, I, I agree with what you were saying, uh, what I was saying, that, that you were saying that uh, God is with us, and the only words that I have to say that is God is faithful. Uh, in whatever we go through, uh, He's there. He's always there. That, that's yeah. been my experience, Joe. I, how long have you been walking with the Lord? Forty years. Be, so you came to Him uh, quite young, I su- I'm guessing. Teenager? Seventeen. You were 17. Well, how did that happen? Was it through a friend or uh, some difficulty you went through? Or what is it that no, it, it was, God used uh, to bring you to himself? Uh, because I, 
nobody has taught me about you know God and everything. I just heard it on the radio on the Catholic uh, music and everything. And that's when I felt the presence of God. But I didn't know God at that time. But uh-huh. God knew me. So the thing is, somebody invited me to a tent uh, revival, and they said go in there. And I didn't even know what, what was going on until I heard the, the word, and God saved me there. So that's to amazing. Make the long story short. Isn't, yeah. isn't it astounding? I, I, this is one thing I, I talked to the uh, when we teach out at Lackland with the basic trainees and so on. And uh, you, you get it's interesting that you get it's a very unique uh, kind of an audience in that you have young men and women from all over the all over the world, literally. Uh, a lot of them coming. You you would think just all over the United States, and that's true. All, Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, and so on. All over the uh, every state of the union, uh, continental U.S. and so on. But also, there's a great number of fo- Nigerians and and uh, Latin Americans and folks who have come to our country and they're they're in the process of becoming citizens, but they serve in our military. And it is astounding to me from all over the world, and yet. There is this commonality of that somehow, some way, God reached down into, <laughs> Jacob makes fun of me for saying this, down into time and space, <laughs> God reached out, and, and he some way found us and drew us, each and every one, in, to himself in some way. And that that's the way it happened with you, right? So you were down, yes. were you here in San Antonio? Is that where you were no, born no, and raised? No. In, no, I was born and raised here in Uvalde, 70 miles off San Antonio. I see. And, and th- I'm, I'm thankful that God uh, reached to me because he gave me just two opportunities. To, that was the second one. And somebody else told me about God and everything, but I didn't listen because uh, uh, my sisters, they go to Catholic church. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and, and I listened to what they're saying, so I didn't want... I thought I was in the right way, you know. Uh, I thought that that was the right way. But then when somebody told me about God and everything about uh, Jesus and, and and being a Christian, then then I said, oh, okay, fine, I'll, I'll, follow, I'll follow God. And he has been with me ever since, and he has been faithful. Oh, uh, uh, Sophie, I want to ask you a question uh-huh. about the Bible. Remember when you told me that, uh, when you told us in the radio that uh, that that David... Got anointed and he ran, uh, he uh, he became king at age thirty. That's what Second Samuel uh, five, chapter five says. So you said that he uh, uh, from the time that he got anointed until the time that he became king, that that was about seventeen years or something like that. Uh-huh. I was wondering how did you came uh, to that uh, figure of of years. Uh, let me see if I can remember the exact. Uh, uh, maybe Jacob can help me. Actually, there are t- two dates involved when when David became king. There was one when he uh, became king, primarily of the tribes of Benjamin and uh, Judah in the south, and, and then it was about seven years later, I believe, seven or eight years later, that he was made king officially over all of the tribes, and so that was the one. Uh, of course, that I, I guess. That kingship is the one that fulfilled the promise that he would that he his his anointing uh, by Samuel to be the king uh, of Israel. That was uh, I am if I remember correctly that was at age thirty seven. So that's twenty five years after he's twelve. That somehow we think is somewhere measured to be around twenty five years after uh, he was uh, anointed by Samuel, which was 
I, I don't know where exactly in this moment where I came up with the numbers, but essentially the idea is he somewhere around the age 12 or 13, he was anointed living in his father's home out with the sheep. You know, remember the Samuel said, do you have any other kids? And he said, well, we just got the yeah. one and they went and got him. And, but, but then it was 25 years later, he had to wait for that promise of that anointing yeah. to be fulfilled in that he became the king of all of Israel. And, so and also it says on that First uh, uh, Samuel 16 that uh, there it says that, that, that God uh, uh, told the, the sons of, Je- of, uh, of uh, uh, what is uh, David's father's name? Uh, uh, Jesse. Jesse, yes. Jesse. Okay, he told them to come forth and, and, and uh, he inspected each one of them. Yes. And then he said, uh, for, don't look at his statue or his physical appearance, for God looks at the heart. And that's my question. Do you think that by heart he meant character? That God looks at the character of the person and not only his physical, not, not his physical appearance? Because I, I don't what, think so. I, don't, I think character is a little bit different from what he looks upon the heart. But that's just me. We'll, uh, I'm not, I, I'd be interested more in what... Uh, I, First, I'd be interested, kind of, Jacob, what you would say when when it says I that would, about. I would tend to agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily character. I think what a person believes, they tend to do, and then a secondary gain kind of idea, perhaps, it generates character. But yeah. I don't think that's initially character. I think it's about the faithfulness of his heart. Good. Okay. That's kind of where I was going too, because in another place, we're told that David was a man after God's own heart. Yes. And and I think that that characteristic. See, I I kind of think in my mind, when I heard your story a while ago on the radio, you talked about I kind of think that you were a man after God's heart. You you are a Godward person. Even though you were at that point in, in what we would call you weren't churchy or you weren't necessarily a believer at that stage in, that, in the full mature sense of a believer but you were a man after God, you were a spiritually minded person. You were Paul in Romans one and two. Paul says that there are Godward people and there are selfward. You know, we're and I think you were a Godward. Your heart was tended and bent toward the Lord, and God then called you. He used the unique set of circumstances and situations, the unique to your personality, to somehow reach down and become real to you and. And allow you to then respond to him as he drew you to himself. Th- that's what I think he noticed in David. He was a man who was who was truly one who who looked and valued the things of God well, and desired God. What does it mean God. when he said he was after God's heart? What that's what he meant. I think. What? What does that mean? He's a man after God's heart. What's that? I mean? think he was looking for for the like the, like uh, Sophie said the, the th- after the things of God. You know, looking for God. Seeking God. All right. Let me suggest it means something different. Okay, go ahead. Because David is the character that when he did wrong, and we all know he had his peccadillos, what mm-hmm. he did is when he recognized that he repented. Oh, yeah, and I agree with you. That's what God was looking for, a guy that not necessarily always does right, because uh, there is a tradition in Jewish history that Anybody is a, has a perfect family, perfect background, can never be the king of Israel. You must have something bad in your background. That's why when you're reading the genealogy of Jesus, that you see in his 
genealogy in Matthew and the other, you see these guys with blemishes, you might say. Because yes. we don't want somebody that says, I'm perfect, I came from a perfect family, and just look at you. So the that, idea is what, they got to have something negative that, in their background. So that that's what First Kings, First Kings uh, chapter fifteen says about David. He says that uh, David uh, obeyed the commandments of the Lord uh, all the days of his life, uh, except when he killed Uriah. When he had Uriah killed, it says except when he had Uriah killed. Yeah, that's just what he says. He says that David follow all the uh, follow the commandments of the Lord all the what, days of his life. That? First or Second Samuel? No, no. First Kings, First chapter Kings. fifteen, uh, from what does it one say? Through... When it says that, uh, that goes on to make a promise to David. And if if you've got your Bible there, if you read further, it'll actually say. And your children, your descendants, will also sit on the throne on one condition. Do you see what the condition there is? No. Uh, I don't have my Bible with me. I just do it by memory because I can't read. The condition is, and it absolutely says this in Kings to David, and then when David repeats it to Solomon, he uses the exact same phrase. And this is what it says. It says, if your children follow the commandments Moses wrote, how about that? <laughs> so, I use that to extrapolate the idea that Jesus, if he didn't follow God's commandments, because it says that, then he's not the Messiah. Because the requirement to be a king in Israel is that you, you can be a physical descendant king, but you cannot be a son Unless you are a physical king and follow the commandments, then you're a son. I agree. Uh, Jacob, I, I agree. Uh, Jacob, I want to ask you one, uh, another question that you said about a few years ago that uh, persons, there was a person who, or persons in the Old Testament that, fo- uh, that follow the law of God uh, without fail. Totally, and you said that it, it was probably in Deuteronomy. So, do you know exactly where you remember that? Well, uh, we know there's a couple instances where it says, like, uh, Enoch uh, walked, walked with God. God. Was taken. Oh, okay, yes. And uh, and that what that means is, is that he was obeying the commandments. In fact, I'll go so far as to say this. Chapter 6 of Genesis talks about Noah. It says he was a righteous man in his generation, but a righteous man. Righteous is very, very a particular language in Hebrew, and it means he followed God's laws. Now, what I just said ought to make a, a question mark come above your head and say, why is, how is Moses, I mean, sorry, Noah... Uh, so how's he, how's he following God's laws if they're not given until Exodus? How is oh. that? Interesting. Mm-hmm. How is Moses a follow- How is Noah a follower of God's laws? Uh, you're going to give us the answer to that too, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Maybe you have a thought on it. Uh, I don't know if you'd like to hang on through the break or just let Jacob answer that. Joe, we've got to take a quick break now. Okay, I'll uh, follow. Uh, 
Uh, after the break. Okay, no, hang on there. Hang on. We're glad to yes, have sir. you there. And we're going to take a break, as I said, folks, and come back. Uh, this wonderful season of the year, we're looking at the book of uh, Exodus tonight, and we'll be relating that to the, the coming of Messiah. And uh, just in the questions and the comments, you can join us, 340-9585, anytime during the next hour. All right? We'd love to have you. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. If you lease office, retail, or warehouse space for your business, the last thing you want to do is overpay the landlord. But it happens every day. Hi, I'm Scott McMurray and president of Bottom Line Realty Advisors. We work with business people who want an effective strategy for their next real estate decision. Whether leasing or buying, it affects your bottom line. Your landlord has representation and you should too. Even if you're a good tenant with no plans to move at all, you're the most vulnerable to getting a really bad deal. We only represent our clients, never landlords, so we have no conflict of interest. We stay on your side. Call me, Scott McMurrian, at 210-535-7800, and we'll negotiate from a position of strength. BottomlineRealtyAdvisors.com Bottom Line Realty Advisors We get the landlord off your bottom line Well, some of the radical changes that are happening in the brain are both physically and emotionally exhausting for teenagers, so they actually do need space. It's crucial for you to know when to push into your teen and when to back off. Here's Jerusha Clark on Focus on the Family Minute. And as parents, I think it's important to recognize that. I kind of downplayed the physiological aspects that were going on, but as I researched them, as Jeremy and I discussed them, we realized we do actually need to give our kids space. And this is where the important principle of discernment comes in, because there are times that we need to push in and not allow our kids to push us away. There are other times we need to leave them alone. And so using discernment is so key. In fact, the two watchwords for us are compassion and discernment. Give your teens the space they need and then be ready for them when they're willing to talk. You'll hear more parenting insights from Jerusha Clark at FamilyMinute.org. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. Listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, John. You outdid yourself with that. That was as cute as it can be. Uh, it reminds me of my little four-year-old grandson and Tavin and all our kids as they're growing up in the Lord. Just happy, you know, just to celebrate God and his goodness. Uh, it's wonderful. Thanks, John. That was that was a good one. Very good. Well done. Well, we are back. We're talking uh, with Joe on the line here. He stayed with us through the break, and we're talking a little bit about David. We're veering off a bit from our... We're going to look go back into Exodus in just a moment and consider some of the elements of the tabernacle in particular this evening and some other things that might come up as well. And you can, as I mentioned earlier, you can give us a call and give us a talk a question or a comment that you have uh, about the the Bible, the scriptures in general, or about our readings in the book of Exodus. Uh, the people of Israel, as they prepare now they to make their journey from uh, beneath Mount Sinai, where they receive the Ten Commandments, and, and God has begun to reshape and mold them into a nation, uh, his people, and then they begin this journey. And then they're given the instructions for this this portable worship center that is going to go with them. Interestingly, uh, Joe was talking about he uh, came to faith through a tent meeting, a tent revival. So here we are we're back thousands of years ago talking about tents again, Joe. So uh, we're, yes, we're going to talk about that tonight. But anyway, we're talking, we were just mentioning a couple of things about uh, David. And, and I, you were going to, what was it, J- Jacob, you were going to comment on, um, we were talking about what it meant to have a heart after uh, uh, God's own uh, uh, mm-hmm. David was a man after God's own heart, and I've forgotten to get what the deal that we were going to wait through the break to. Uh, oh, oh, uh, Joe had brought up this passage in in uh, was it First Kings or Second Kings, Joe? First Kings, First Kings fifteen, 15 about uh, David. Go ahead. Read. Go ahead. Uh, it's from fifteen on uh, chapter uh, verse five or something because uh, I'm just doing it by memory. Yes, and David was a man after God's heart because he uh, repented. He was a sense, and to me that kind of goes with the idea of being Godward, uh, because you can't talk. We can't. Sometimes I, we, I think folks don't recognize this. You, you can't talk about God without involving morality, because God is good. He's pure. He's holy. He's righteous, and. and Sometimes we do. We try to escape and talk about God only in the sense of relationship, uh, friendship. Oh, yeah, sure, God and I get along well. Uh, But the point is I don't think you can consider God without considering at the same time the idea that there is an inherent. If a person is truly after God's own heart, I believe part of that is that there's a longing for righteousness, for goodness. Righteousness. You remember when uh, even, I hate to, I don't want to get too far off the track here, but you know, remember when uh, Jesus gets baptized by John? Yes. And it says, we're going to do all righteousness. Uh, well, that is a very... Yeah, John says, I, I shouldn't baptize you. You should be baptizing That's me. He said, he but says. He said, no, we need to do it this way well, so that we fulfill would, all righteousness. Why would Jesus say righteousness? To fulfill all righteousness. Yes. That's not something that I just feel like I'm just doing the right thing by golly. It's something very specific. It's God's laws. God's laws. And if Jesus had baptized John, he would have broke God's laws because only the Levites can do the so-called baptism. So he's saying, no, 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 no. You've got to baptize me because God's law says you have to do the baptizing. Uh-huh. Uh, mikvah. So anyway, but then the idea is how is Moses or Noah walking with God? He's doing his laws. How does he know what the laws are? And were the there laws you go. That's where we were. before Exodus? And the answer is yes. Joe, are you there? Yes, sir. 
Alright. If you can remember this, after you get off there, you can go to your Bible and look up. Genesis 26 5. 26 5. Uh-huh. You'll find that these, the family of Abraham, had God's laws before Exodus. Yes. So. They knew God's laws. That's how you walk with righteousness. And by the way, it says Noah walked with God. We tend to think that's a nice thing, but that's not the best. Abraham walked before God. There's always a big emphasis in the Jewish frame of reference between somebody walking with and somebody walking before. In other words, God could trust Abraham. He could walk before him. Noah had to have a crutch. He walked with God, and God helped support him, which may be a good thing. But he knew Abraham walked before him. <laughs> so, I like that. So he didn't need a crutch then. <laughs> uh, Abraham knew the laws and believed them and did them. Yeah. So the point is yes, righteousness. Sir. When you see that word, that's uh, zedaka, and that's uh, zadik, is a righteous person, and that's a very specific meaning. So when John. In the book of Matthew, or yeah, when he baptizes Jesus, he had to. Had it been reversed, then we would have had a real problem because Jesus is not fulfilling God's laws. Wow. Oh, I tell you, there's all these insights and uh, little details. That's one of the beautiful things, Joe, I think, about the redemptive plan of God as we see it kind of scrolled out and, and laid out for us progressively in the scriptures is that there's all these tiny little, there's a lot of moving parts and these tiny details that all fit together. Uh, that's one of the most beautiful things about it in, in a way. It's, uh, to me, uh, so it, it, it's so much questions. credibility. I'm sorry. I want to ask ahead. you a question mm-hmm. to you and Jacob. Uh, is the word Tanakh, Tanakh, uh, uh, mentioned in the Bible? I think no, it is. It is not. It is not? It is not. Because, well, hold on, um, Josh, uh, Joshua 12, oh, I read know. up. Yes, uh, referring to, I know what you're talking about. To, yeah, yeah, you know what? The word is, you're right about that, but it's not referring to the Bible or the entire Old Testament, as you'd call it. It's referring to a location. I do know what you're talking about. The word yes. itself does appear, but it's a location, not the Bible. So, okay, so so that word doesn't mean Old Testament that way. No, no, sir. Okay. Very that, interesting. Well, yeah. de- like like I said, all these details, Joe. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate uh, you being so out there. I want to ask you, uh, you you're uh, an expert on math, math mathematician, math, <laughs> arithmetic. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, there are 7 billion people in the whole world. Uh, if you deduct 15% from that, how much is that? Do you know? Uh, about a million fifty thousand. Okay. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you, Jacob. Yeah, and uh, so fifteen. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Fifteen million oh. Jews in the whole world. And less than fifteen million Jews. Well, Jacob would know that. Uh, depending how we count Jews. Now, are you counting uh, me in that count? This is correct. You're right. Because if you're going <laughs> to, everybody's grafted in, then we got uh, let's see, close to over a billion. If you're going to graft. Uh, that's what. That's what we we've added to your numbers. Let's go ahead and talk about Exodus. The tribe of Judah now has really truly expanded, right? Okay. Let's go back to Exodus uh, and talk about this this construct. I mean, frankly, I'm amazed this tabernacle that they built, if we're talking about who knows, a million and a half, two million people, and well, this they, little... They estimate, they estimate that there was a, 
between two and two and a half million yeah. left Egypt. Yeah. And, and, and between people of Israel, uh, descendants of Abraham, was, Isaac, uh, Jacob, and all the, the mixed the, multitude, the mixed multitude that went with them as well. So here they are, and they're going to make this journey up to the Canaan and the. Uh, they've been reminded now, they spent 13 months there beneath Mount Sinai, been reminded of who God is, God's laws being reminded, refreshed for them, uh, spelled out, detailed, you know, thought about. And so we, we see this process going on in them. And then and then we have this, this little, uh, and I don't know if they considered it little or, it, it, in some ways it seems almost small to insignificance. It's just the size of a, of a, a fourth of the size of a football field, about 50 yards long and 25 yards across. So you had four of them on a, on a football field that we use and that we know about. Now, that's an image we can keep up with. The, that was just the fence around it, this, this uh, I think, eight-foot-tall white cloth fence uh, all around it. And then in, in, inside the fence... Uh, all of it called the tent of meeting, or I guess it was all called the tabernacle. Anywhere in, in there, right? It's called tabernacle, and the Hebrew is called Mishkan, but it's a tabernacle. And all it is is there were ten statements when God created the world. Okay. Ten principles, ten utterances. Going back to Genesis 1 and right. so on. So, and then there were ten plagues. Remember, and I'll give you one, just one example to make more it make numerology. Sense. Here we well, <laughs> make it to make sense. What was the very last thing God created in Genesis was man and woman, human beings, right? Uh huh. The firstborn. Okay. And yes. All right. The last plague was the destruction of the firstborn. So basically, everything that was created, I'm not. It's too complicated to go through, but everything that was created was undone in Egypt. So we evidently do have the power to undo it. And now we have to go to Mount Sinai and we're going to get the Ten Commandments again. And there is a way that you take the ten steps of creation in Genesis. You can undo them with the ten plagues. And then they're re-given and you can actually compare the Ten Commandments to the ten statements or utterances that created the world. So with that in mind, what you're doing is creating the Mishkan or the tabernacle. There are ten sections to it. And if you start picturing it, you've got, you know, as you said, the, the labor with the, the seas. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you keep going kind of backwards. What you're doing is making a microcosm on earth of the actual creation that God created. And he's given you the words of creation, which are the Ten Commandments once again, and you put them in. But if you go kind of backwards, when you go, you're starting at the outer limits and you're working your way back and you get to the curtain, and behind the curtain is God. In other words, behind, behind the skies and the heavens, however many uh-huh. there are, is uh, somewhere up there is God. That's the idea. So you're looking at a picture. That's why God made it so absolutely detailed because you go through chapter after chapter after chapter in Exodus. It, yeah. I wanted yeah. you to understand what creation was about. And now I have a question for you, Soapy. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I'm just so fascinated by it. These are some of these details that we talk about that are just so beautifully fit well, you together. you go down yeah. through it. You go down, you see everything. You've got the the seven, the menorah, seven candles, seven days. Yes. So everything is a recreation of the microcosm of creation. Now, then, the very last item in the tabernacle, and it occurs in chapter 31, and it begins at chapter uh, tw- uh, verse 12 through uh, 16. 
And it gives us, and it occurs right after all these details of how you do these, these rings, these curtains, everything you're doing. And then it ends with the very last item that really makes the tabernacle. And we don't think of it as a thing or as a part right. of it, uh-huh. but it is established uh, what is it? at that moment. Um, I think it's that day, the Sabbath, the, the Sabbath. seventh day. Without the Sabbath, all you've got is a building. And, of course, the seventh day was the last thing in creation. Exactly. The, the God rested exactly. from his so creative see, works. You got, after you go through all this detail, chapter after chapter, you're, you're reconstructing a microcosm of the world. So a Jewish synagogue, wow. a temple, a church is supposed to be kind of modeled after the act of creation. And what's there is God's word. And so what's really happening is the last thing in Exodus that's actually, we consider it, a day, but mm. if you look at the order of it, it lists all these items and ends up with the Sabbath. Because without the Sabbath, all you've got is a building. <laughs> that's right. Ah, that's beautiful. And, and uh, my mind is going crazy with the thought, with I the idea of it. You had left me uh, there. Yeah, I, I was kind of, my head was spinning with the reality of that. But that's what we see this magnificent, what well, we say magnificent, and, and yet it was as simple. Little construct. It's not like it's some well, eighth wonder of the to, world or I'm anything. I'm not going to get overly burdensome, but you know, in the acts of creation, the last thing created was human beings. The last plague destroyed a human being, the uh-huh. firstborn. The first thing created was human beings, and then, then the last. Right? Is that what you're saying I or not? I just said that. I think. And, and you said the last thing, but I'm. No, the well, the no. The first thing created was the human beings. The first thing created was a human being, but the last plague in Egypt killed the first. Got it. Born, the firstborn. So the idea was, is that you are evidently uh, able to, and there is a way that you can match the plagues to almost undo each act of creation, and then you have to give the Ten Commandments again, which actually there is a way to line those up with the Ten Statements of Creation. I could see that then in my imagination, have a at least. Building, since I've got them in my hands. I've got what God created in Genesis. I've got it in my hands, my Ten Commandments. So what happens is I start building a microcosm of the world. That's my little tabernacle, my Mishkan, if you like. And it's in the wilderness, which is symbolic. But because remember, in the world, there was just a wilderness before God made the world. So he's making that. We're making that. That's what our building is supposed to be. But there's something missing unless we have the very last added item. And in the Ten Commandments, of course, you have the Sabbath. And what's fascinating about the Sabbath, and nobody thinks about this. So next time somebody's criticizing and saying, oh, well, the Jews have rituals and all this other stuff. Remember this. The, the Sabbath is the only ritual, and I'm going to use that word. Now, the word ritual does not appear in the Bible, right, uh-huh. but for communication, we'll say ritual. But the Sabbath is the only, quote-unquote, ritual that's actually embodied in the Ten Commandments. It's important, or it wouldn't be actually there. Isn't that place that? of rest, that place of well, I know, but belonging to God. That, that yeah, and yeah. all this stuff that goes with it, it's there in the Ten Commandments. Hmm. So. Uh, yeah, I, I and, and um, boy, a lot of, a lot of content there for to process and to think about. But it's part, it, it's part and parcel. It's the beauty of the scriptures. I think that they just every the details how they fit together. Well, let, let's take. Um, so whenever they looked at when a young person looked at the tabernacle, 
is they're growing up, and mom and dad take them to the you know to to present their offering before the Lord or to be a part of the festivals and so on. They could use this as a teaching point, talking to them about the tabernacle and say this represents this, and, this. and they could teach oh, through yeah. the the creation events, yeah. God's plan, uh, God, the idea of uh, the the, la- the labor for ceremonial cleansing, the, the 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 altar for sacrifice of sin and cleansing spiritual, uh, you know, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So they all kinds of spiritual points. And, and spiritual and practical things that they could teach to them as they went, just as they went to the uh, to the tabernacle itself, this uh, this little portable worship center. It stayed with them through 40 years through the wilderness and, and all the wilderness experience. And then I think it was when, um, when did it stop being used? When they moved into the uh, promised well, land? They, uh, first you had Shiloh, and then you went to Jerusalem, and you had the... Uh, the national, the, the temple, national temple, yeah. Okay, so the the tabernacle remained viable and useful, or, I guess, all the well, way up until the uh, early years of Solomon's and indeed, reign. Indeed, the understanding is it's even the beginning of uh, Ezekiel, where you see this whatever it is, this Hasabah uh-huh. coming out of uh, this symbol coming out of Israel, and then arriving in Babylon. Uh-huh. Uh, you see, the idea is the tabernacle and God. It always goes with them. Wherever they go, it goes. Well, it was the uh, it was this little construct compared to the compared to the massive nature of the people of Israel. As they let's say two million people move, just think about all these tribes organized around it. But there is this little tent, this little uh, portable worship center in the very center of the camp, and there is this. A uh, pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was used. There were trumpets involved. It was used to tell them when to make camp, when to break camp. Uh, God communicated in, with them his provision, the the manna, the quail, the difficulty they would bring to uh, Moses there at the tent of meeting. And uh, so, what so was it, given, it, it what provided was given first all this long, laborious, even tedious construction on building this little tabernacle. Yeah. If you really want to know about the construction of the world, and it's too much to go into on the radio, but study the construction of this tabernacle. You're told the details kind of how God did it. But what came first, the tabernacle or the Ten Commandments? Ten Commandments. Aha. Now think about that. They were not given in Israel. They were given outside Israel. Right. Meaning they don't belong to just the Jews. They belong to the world. And then we have this tabernacle created, which is a microcosm of the world, shall we say. And then after you got the Word of God, then you construct the world. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word. (laughs) Ah, Jacob, you never fail to amaze. Just remarkable insights and thoughts. I I know and understand, I was telling you last week, we were talking a little bit about this, that... Um, I, you are doing, I, I think you are doing and fulfilling what God is uniquely called, uh, the people group, what we, we call Israel, the, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are doing and, and, and godly, um, 
believing uh, Jewish people who who are faithful to their calling are doing. They're they're helping open the scriptures. They're helping to uh, help us understand more and more about God's uh, about who God is and His redemptive plan and what He's doing in and through and with us. I I really applaud you. That's that's. I, I've always, I always dreamed. I remember when you began calling in on the program years ago. Years ago, Jacob started out being just a caller. He would call in and comment from time to time, and and we were all so intrigued and so encouraged and uh, edified by his comments that pretty soon we were people were calling in, and Jacob was not on the program continually at that time. But we'd have people go, maybe Jacob will call in and give us the answer to that. I, I remember those days. I, I don't know that I'm giving the answer. The truth is, sure. I don't know any more than what somebody told me. If somebody hadn't told me, I wouldn't know. And, and we're learning, uh, is, uh, and I just want to encourage you and our, our Jewish friends, and uh, please continue share those insights, those thoughts from the scriptures. Uh, you know, you, you have the history, you have the traditions, you have the language, you have those. Help us as, as uh, we're, we're grafted in. We're just uh, newbies to the to the show. So uh, we, we need you guys to do that. Well, we've got lots of calls lined up, and let's go back and pick out. Uh, I think Lee is on the phone. Lee, are you there with us this evening? Yes, sir. If I hit the right button, I'm so glad to talk to you, buddy. Good day. <laughs> here. Happy I'm enjoying the conversation. Great. Merry Christmas to you and your family and all. What, what's uh, on your mind? Well, I wanted to share a study I did uh, a while back on the tabernacle in the wilderness and how the parts correspond with the life of Jesus Christ. There's another uh, picture, Just a few yes. examples. There's only one door. Jesus said, I am the door. Uh, there is a table with showbread. He said, oh, Jesus said, I am the life. Uh, there was the menorah, the light. I am the light of the world. Uh, and, of course, uh, in Hebrews it teaches us that Jesus is our high priest. Um, and then if you, you go on and talk about the bread and his sustaining us, um, the altar of incense, his intercession, uh-huh. of course, his veil, the, the flesh, uh, and the ark and so forth, his humanity and deity. But God, God is so incredible in typology yes. and foreshadowing. And I just wanted to bring that out, that two uh, things, just because he's a good at construction, <laughs> they mean something. Oh, yes, they mean so much. And and, and it, the more you get into those details, the more beautiful the, it becomes in the sense, and the more profound it, it, it kind of transformed from this little simple little construct, this little tent, you know, that we would think of. But all of a sudden when you see the significance, and, and then you begin to understand why there's so many chapters uh, in, the, in the book of Exodus dedicated to these tiny details of make it out of this and use this, and it's got to be just so many feet tall and so many, or, or not feet, but uh, I forget the word they use, but the, the measurements and so on, the, the details. Uh, and they were so important that they followed them. Uh, I remember at the end of the con- uh, at the end of the construction, there it says, and, "And Moses, or I think, and Moses followed and obeyed all of God's details and detail about this about this uh, tabernacle. It's it's meant to be fact, a beautiful picture for us." Moses had a great difficulty understanding this complicated stuff, and and God would say, "Look, Moses, pay attention. I'll show you a picture, okay?" <laughs> in fact, four times uh, in. Uh, 
in Exodus, God actually shows Moses a picture. Um, were you going to reference those? For, uh, yeah, kind of Lee, tell us there? what those were. He's still there. Lee there? Are, is Lee still with us? I haven't fallen asleep yet. Okay. <laughs> well, I I have that effect on people. I I do too. Uh, That's for my example, gift. In uh, Exodus twenty six thirty, you actually have God showing a picture of this tabernacle to Moses, and earlier in twenty five nine, you have a picture of the tabernacle with the vessels. In 2540, you actually have God showing Moses a picture of the menorah so he knows what to make. And then we have a very interesting one. In 3318, he says, Moses says, now show me your glory. Oh, yes. But now think about it in the pictures that you've been, teach, you've been taught over and over. Let me show you a picture, Moses. And now Moses goes and says, I, you know, I got the picture. Now let me see the glory. And then there's a famous verse that says, Oh, well, uh, I'll pass by and you can see my back. Now, what that means in Hebrew is it doesn't mean God has a back. Uh, it doesn't mean he has a front. What it means is is that when you look back on this, you will come to understand what this is all about. So, anyway, so that's, that's what that's about. So, he's actually asking to see the glory. So, all these other things... And so he's actually showing all these pictures because Moses had a little difficulty, as we all would. Understand, I'm supposed to make an ark to put the commandments in, a menorah. What is all this? And so he actually, it actually says in those verses, let me show you a picture. And God actually shows a picture. And it does occur, and I think it's in the book of Hebrews uh, in the New Testament. It actually does say that Moses was shown a picture. <laughs> You love those pictures. I know we do. Thank you, Lee, for calling in. appreciate you being here. You're welcome. God bless you guys. You too, friend. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. And you can be a part of the program as well. Just give us a call, 340-9585, and we'll be back and continue our last segment talking about the book of Exodus tonight. And uh, Bobby's on the line. Hang on. Stay with us through the break, and you can give us a call as well, 340-9585. The Golden Calf, an interesting topic, 340-9585. Come see this one they call Jesus, born of a virgin long ago. It's the old sweet story. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. See this one they call Jesus, no longer in a manger bed, crucified and risen for me. can't stand hearing myself any more than that. But boy, a, I love those little tunes. Uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And believe it or not, we had a, not a white Christmas, but close enough. 
We actually had some snow in San Antonio again after all these one year weather. And a whole bunch of miniature snowmen. <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh, eight-inch snowmen around the city. I saw one full-size snowman, and I wondered if, why, how in the world did they get enough snow to make a full-size speaking, snowman. Speaking of a snowman. For me. <laughs> there you uh, there go. is, uh, and one thing I'd, I'd like to touch on this evening is the golden calf. All right, we'll come. We'll get to that uh, for sure. That's another one of the primary, uh, really important kind of highlight uh, events that that we see in the book of Exodus. The things that happened to this people, uh, uh, Moses being led by Moses, God is instructing them, guiding and refreshing them, restoring their vision of who they are and his calling on the unique calling on their life. Uh, And um, they're at the base of Mount Sinai. And then uh, there is this one example, this one moment. Well, maybe not just one. There are a number. But there is this thing of this calf, this golden calf. Now, Moses has been up on the mountain uh, a long time. What, 40 days, 49? 40 days, 49. There's that 40 again, that number. So Moses is up there, um, and they, they, they grow restless. They grow impatient, I guess, is the idea. And they want, you know, well, is he coming back? to the understanding, they miscounted the days. They counted the day he went. So they said that'd be day one. And that's the understanding that they miscounted the days. They said, hey, it's been 41 days. Did they know it was going to be 40? And that's the idea that they knew somehow? Uh Uh, Now, what's interesting is that uh, 40 days obviously come down with the Ten Commandments. And and they build a golden calf in the meantime. And uh, but what's fascinating about this, it looks like just a horrible (laughs) major sin. And indeed it was. But actually, it's probably one of the most important things that ever happened to the Jews, to the mixed multitude, everybody at Mount Sinai. In fact, even us, if we understand what it's about. Well, let's get into that a little bit. So, okay, this idea is that maybe they knew about it was going to be 40 days and they miscounted. And so now... But they didn't. Did, they didn't make the golden calf like in one day, did they? No, it took a few days. Okay, so then they must have started it. Well, sometime as, before. As Aaron said, "I don't know what happened. I threw in some gold. Hey, I'll pop the calf." You know? <laughs> I always, I always liked Aaron. He, uh, in that sense, uh, but you notice when Aaron dies. That sin of making the golden calf is not mentioned as his sin. There's no, a, it isn't. There is a sin to mention, but not that. What is it mentioned? Let me see. Let me think of what it was. Well, oh, he tried to uh, usurp. No, it wasn't him. Well, no, but but the, but I really, uh, what I want to stick to is this. Sure. Is that that's not mentioned. So how could that such a grievous sin not be considered as his grievous sin? Because when you look in chapter 32, it starts off, that's where the golden calf occurs. And what starts off, it says, The people saw Moses delayed in descending the mountain. And the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Rise up, make for us gods that will go before us. Now listen carefully. The golden calf is not God. It's Moses. Listen to the next verse. It says, Make us gods that will go before us. For we do not know what happened to this man Moses that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. They want the golden calf to be their leader to replace Moses. Not replace God, but they're looking for a replacement for Moses. Absolutely incorrect. 
And that's one of the things. Now, huh. and then they go on, they say, here is your God, O Israel. Uh, well, they're not talking to themselves. The group that came with them, we're going to call it the mixed multitude, some of them, said, we, listen, we understand about gods and golden calves and the importance of symbolism, that kind of stuff. And we don't know what happened to Moses, so let's make us a new God, like Moses. They were kind of thinking Moses was a God, which he was not. And they brought him. Uh, they thought, he's gone. We need something to lead us. So it was meant to replace Moses. Later on in chapter 32, it's in verse 21 or 22, Moses comes down and says, Aaron, what in the world did you do? And he says, I don't know. And he says, you know, they said, what? they said, we don't know what happened to this man Moses, so make us a god. So it's not God in the sense of the God. It's a sense of replacing Moses. And, the, and they're not talking to themselves when they say, oh, here, Israel, is your God. They're, it's the other people that constructed it. Now, the sin of the Jews was going along with another per- party's religion. They're certainly guilty of it, but now I'm going to surprise you. Well, so let me get this. Let me kind of internalize this. So the idea is that they, uh, the 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 golden calf, in some way, was going to be replacing Moses in the sense of giving them guidance as they break camp and move whatever they're going to do. So they would they, they use the Urim a, and the Thummim? And that's what they, they needed an intercessory. They needed an intermediary. And they didn't. Okay. All right. I I, I kind of get it. All right. So uh, I've always wondered about th- this incident in particular, but all the in- all the ideas and incidences of idolatry. Because often I've thought, like Isaiah talks about in one of his uh, in the book of Isaiah, one of his messages about the 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 really the the stupidity, the 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 absurdity of. Fashioning something out of a piece of wood and calling it God, you know. I mean, we always kind of think, where did idolatry come well, here from? Is, well, but here I, they are I, trying actually, to use it actually to replace a function, that, right? I don't want to get too sidetracked now, but actually, the folks doing that are actually, in a sense, very close to God, but but they're twisting it and making idols. But here's the important thing: I'm going to shock you with what I'm going to say. I'm sin, used to that. The sin of the golden calf may be one of the greatest blessings, if not the greatest blessings that happened to Israel. Let me have it and explain. I, I can, in some ways, I can almost anticipate it, but I'd like to okay, hear it. Okay, here's the catch. These people have been slaves for a long time. They've been in Egypt, Mitzrayim. Well, all of their lives, uh-huh. every one of them. Yeah. So they've been there where they have these other gods, right? Yes. So they've got a concept of religion and gods, you might say. In uh, Egypt, in Hebrew, is Mitzrayim, which is like boundaries or limitations limited into the idea of sin because of false gods. So they're coming out. And they think uh, we got to have something to replace Moses because they're thinking Moses is like a Messiah. And in some sense, he is. Mm-hmm. But uh, so they're saying we've got to have this, except all the gods they've been interested in and had any exposure to in Egypt were cruel, heartless gods that always demanded vengeance and payment and did terrible, terrible, terrible things. The people that dare bucked them, except for the very first time they do this terrible sin of the, the making this golden calf and the Jews. Their part of the sin is going along with it. We know that because of what happens in a few minutes. But so they go along with it. 
But then Moses goes up on the mountain. We know he goes back, gets another set of tablets, all that kind of business, and he brings them down. He comes down and breaks the tablets. Yes, that's it, all true. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the interesting thing, he goes up. What does this God teach that's different than the gods in Egypt? Well, He's, this God is different than the gods of Egypt. This God forgives sin. He forgave them. That's him. the most important message. And restored them. He sent another. Let's, let's slow it down. Uh-huh. Let's, not, let's not destroy what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. What I'm trying to say is they only knew about harsh, cruel gods. And for the first time, here's a horrible sin. And certainly the Jews went along with it. And here's the idea. It wasn't constructed by the Jews, but they went along with it because that's why they say, here's your God, O Israel. It's obviously made by somebody else. But what happens is, the reason this is a blessing is, they have learned something about this God they could not have learned any other way. He forgives. That this God is a forgiving God if you repent. And for the first time, they said, man, this guy's different than the gods we're familiar with, we've heard about. So they learned a great blessing. And then Moses goes up and gets the tablets. Although there were consequences, right? Uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but some people did. There were some people some who. People, no, sir. Not some people. One half of 1% die. And they were nobody except Jews. The mixed multitude are not among that crowd huh. that dies. It's only one half of 1% died, which is approximately 3,000 people, men. And what that's about is the Jews knew better. And even Moses drew a line in the dirt and said, hey, everybody want to cross over, cross over. So they still had a chance in that right. symbolism. Yeah, right, yeah, right. They did not. So what happened is the ones that did not cross over, it's approximately 3,000. Yes, that was the penalty, but it's not mixed multitude. Well, so they saw mercy and they saw forgiveness they as do. part of the... Uh, but what's interesting is I really want to talk about what happened. So Moses gets the second set of commandments and he brings it down. Okay. They've learned that this God is a God that forgives. If you repent, he forgives. Now, this is even more fantastic, I think. What day... What day are the second set of commandments given and that we have commemorated in the Torah and the five first five books that we and Jews still do today as the day of repentance? Would yes. It, would it be the Day of Atonement? Yes, the Day of Atonement. Yom, Yom Kippur. Kippur. So he brings them down. That's the day when they learn. They said, oh, we should we remember this every year for the ever and ever that God forgives. So now we have a day called Yom Kippur that we know that God forgives and we never forget that. Okay, so the giving of the Ten Commandments was uh, 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 was um, Pentecost. It would be in the New, days New after, Testament. This idea of Pentecost. Fifty yeah. days after the. Uh, and historically, you might find this interesting: the giving of the Ten Commandments. Uh-huh. It was David's birthday. Ah, how about that? And so, um, but that's that's an, that's something else we can lace up some other time. Anyway, so we, <laughs> uh, we can we can waste some time another another we, day. We can waste time on that some other time. <laughs> but the point is, is that we have actually have the Ten Commandments, and they're broke. And he brings them back down. And the day he brings them down gets commemorated by God as something you're supposed to always remember. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. If you repent, God forgives. Bingo. Wonderful. Thank you for the Grand Canyon. (laughs) 
You bet. Well, that you got this. There's some callers. Why don't you take? A oh yeah, on? we better go talk with Bob. He's on the line. This is fascinating to me because we, sometimes we look at the Book of Exodus and all these details and this stuff, and we we think of that as uh, uh, particularly, I think, perhaps uh, Gentile believers, those of us who are following Jesus, we get into that. We think, oh, it's just all about Israel, and it's all about those Jews and this, and it, and we get kind of bored with it, and we don't realize how tightly wrapped up it is with with the whole redemptive plan of God. It all fits together as a set piece, and it's just so marvelous to hear it and encouraging. Let's go and um, visit quickly. Let me see if I can get... Uh, what what line is Bob on? Two. two. Line two. All right, good. Hi, Bob. Good to hear from you tonight. Hi, my brothers. Good to Thank hear you from for you. The show. Thank you for the show tonight. Good. Thank uh, you. I, I'm going to kind of roll back into the second segment. Thank you so much for the that uh, discussion of the uh, at Sinai and everything that happened there on the the commandments and uh, that was exciting the calf and the, the golden, golden calf, calf and all yeah the golden calf that was exciting and it's I, I kind of see a little glimpse of it in in Jeroboam's altars at Bethel when he 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 said here are these two bulls that brought you out of Egypt and but uh, I kind of go back to the garden when he kind of gave. Uh, Adam and Eve a uh, a back a little room to uh, maneuver legal room to maneuver and backpedal because he said who told you you were naked in other words he didn't say you you guys are naked you guys are, you guys were covered up your nakedness you you bad guys you had the you ate the fruit he just made an inquisition and uh, asked them some questions and he he sort of said you know you guys stumbled but there was somebody who stumbled you up. And who told you that, and so forth? Yes. And he really gets it. He really gets at the enemy who really was tearing everything up, and who stumbled them up. And he really didn't crush them too bad, although they had to leave the garden. But there were for those; those were the consequences. And they didn't really know what they had until they had to sweat and 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 struggle. But, Interesting uh, parallel. I, I'm wondering if there uh, is ever made that parallel between Sinai and the mercy, forgiveness aspect, and, the, and what we saw in Adam and Eve as well. That's that's an interesting. Uh, but, uh, but I want to roll back to the second segment where you 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 said, uh, Jacob, I I don't you know if you know what you're what you're contributing here. And I think Jacob really does know what he's contributing, but I want you to know what you're contributing by going through line by line. You mentioned the prophet Isaiah. I believe it is in the prophet Isaiah where it says you go, the way you look at the scriptures is you go line by line, line by line, here a little, there a little. And most most Christians go, uh, they, they cherry pick and uh, proof text with here a little, there a little, but they don't go line by line. And you have a format to go line by line through the entire scriptures. And occasionally Vernon McGee does this. He, he's he's on the air, and uh, uh-huh. occasionally you hear occasionally you hear Chuck Swindoll will do a study where he's almost going line by line. Yeah. Uh, Doctor Tony Evans, your urban alternative, he recently had something where he almost went line by line through a, a segment of Esther. And uh, I, uh, in order to understand the scriptures, we must kind of like this. You must have the Sabbath to understand, and you must work the six days to understand the seventh day of rest. Uh, you, Very you, interesting, you Bob. Have to, I like, I you like have what you go, saying. You have to go line by line and and also pick here and there to understand. Uh, but if you don't, if, if you pick here and there, but you don't go line by line, 
Yeah. You you fail. And and it says I've set it up. It says Isaiah says the reason I set it up this way, the way our heavenly Father set it up this way is because it would cause people to stumble because they won't go line by line and hear a little there a little. So it, we you have to go line by line. So uh, you, you this is your format. And uh, also, uh, Alexander Scorby, his, his his recording of the Bible is given on the Bible Broadcasting Network every day. Right, yeah. Uh, and, and that's another important one to listen to yeah. because he goes, it goes line by line. So if you, all the people out there, I want you to understand, be sure and go line by line, read an entire book, read an entire chapter all together in order to uh, make sure your Bible study is solid. And uh, also one of the places, one of the... Ch- wants to read right now is Jeremiah 10. Read Jeremiah 10 and ask yourself, should I set up a Christmas tree or not? And I, I want Jacob's comment. I want Jacob's comment on that. All right. We'll um, look at it for him okay. here, Bob. Thank you for calling. Jeremiah 10. All right. Let's see. Uh, what is he referring to well, here? He's about? referring to a thing. It's in there. It looks like a description of a Christmas tree. That's what he's referring to. However, I prefer to call it not a Christmas tree, but a Hanukkah bush. <laughs> <laughs> Hanukkah bush, okay. Uh, uh, it sounds funny to me. Is it? A <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's an inside joke. Okay, I, I imagine our, our Jewish friends and listeners are are laughing it up right now, and we're all going. I know that's funny, but I don't uh, quite sure uh, I get I know it. That's funny. I don't know why. <laughs> very, very good. Well, who else? Do we have someone else who have another caller? Is there? Okay, okay good. So let's let's just go ahead and finish with Sophie. I did most of the predominant amount of talking. Well, I that was good. I'm, I'm so glad you did, actually. Um, I, I tell you, the, the thing about I think Lee pr- kind of brought it in as well. It's one of the parts that we see uh, w- when when we uh, what we've been taught as we look at the scriptures and the you know the, the creation event, uh, uh, the everything, Noah, uh, the flood, uh, the. the, the Tower of Babel, all of these different experiences, uh, choosing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God working with a people group, and and the flight and, and the going down into Egypt, and Joseph, and so on. When we see all of these stories and these images and these uh, these people examples that are put before us, um, I, we see what what as kind of grafted in uh kind of converted Jews from all of our gentile backgrounds and so on this what this apache sees for example it, it, i tend to see over and over again i see i see messiah i see jesus i see these you know like as lee talked about the, the picture of the redemptive plan of god and so on now i i don't i'm i'm enriched by and intrigued by and and, and ecstatic over the, seeing the, the the fullness of this picture, you know, of of the you know the the creative plan of God in in the tabernacle, for example. The last thing created is the Sabbath, and and, and so and immediately when he said that, I thought, ah, oh, that's that's the finished, finally the finished product. The, when we're with God and His people together, and and so on, and and when it pulls all together, the final picture is of God's people worshiping and being with, fellowshipping with Him and with each other, and the, the one. And I and I think of the passage, like you mentioned in Hebrews, where you know that talks about the Messiah, the Christ is our Messiah. He He is our Sabbath. He is our. We find it all fulfilled in Him ultimately. And so, I I, I would just say that's one. We look at that and we see that almost. 
I would say we see that far more than we see the other uh, image, images that you help bring out. It, it, not that not that it is more important or crucial, but if that's just the insight, that I think that's part of why sometimes you've asked, you know, you've kind of marveled and said, you know, one thing I think I really admire about Christians is that how enthusiastic and how, how wow, you, you, you're really excited about your faith, about Christ, about God, about forgiveness. And, and uh, that's part of why I, I somehow we, we've got this real deal about, about Jesus. Now, you trace a lot of these things back to Torah, back to God's word, God's commands. And, 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 and of course, we make the connection there, too, is, you know, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, and as you've made that clear to us. But that's, that's something, it seems to be something that we, that we, as Gentile believers, we, we, we're grafted in, we become part, but we don't sometimes appreciate the rest of of it, all of the rest of that insights and all the rest of those connections and those details uh, of the whole story woven together. Uh, um, I don't know if this is making sense at all to you, but uh, I've kind of, kind of, I've been thinking a lot about you in, in uh, uh, this season of the year and, and 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 what what do Jewish people, Jewish? I mean, I'm talking about sincere, God-loving Jewish men and women that, uh, kind of making, kind of in a sense, a number of kind of making their peace with, in a sense, Jesus. So we were talking about this a little before. How, do, how does it fit in? And, and, and you were talking about where our listeners, we have a, a great number of Jewish listeners, and, and slowly becoming the, the barriers coming down and, and understanding maybe less threatened and less... Um, Intimidated or less, the, 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 considering this this Jewish rabbi from the first century again and afresh and anew. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just rambling here a little bit, but uh, I'm talking about you. You saw these things in Exodus, and we look at that, and we see that now with your help, we see those things, and they're beautiful. But also, kind of like Lee said, we kind of our general general tendency is to. Look and see where's Jesus in there? Where's Messiah? Where's the the redemptive plan? Does that resonate at all? And well, it does. There there is a rule. There was a book written by a, a Orthodox rabbi a few years ago called Kosher Jesus, and uh, and I've read the book. What a concept! And, uh, <laughs> and he said, and he says in there, he says, you know, I'm Jewish. I don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He says, and I don't believe that he was God. Certainly, but he does make the point. That in the Torah, it says you're supposed to love your fellow Jew. So his point was, the Jews should not turn their back on a fellow Jew, and Jesus was a Jew. So they sort of need to reclaim him, is his point. But not in the Christian sense, but as a fellow Jew, because it does say you're supposed to love your fellow. Exactly. Well, I I, I like that. I've always been. Uh, it seems like maybe you've mentioned that to me before, but I, I would like a reconsideration of of uh, it. Would be so fascinating. I find that fascinating. With your uh, you're you're completing a book now that you've kind of been working on a good long while, and I just cannot wait for it to be well, completed you know, and, and finished. You said during the break that I, I would like you to hit on. Because you had said, and see, one of the things with Jews, when they oh, we're out of time. Oh, not quite. Okay, well, at any rate, but you always said that they're, because uh, a lot of Christians always say, hey, you got to believe in Jesus, you got to give up being Jewish, etc., etc. But the truth is, as you said during the break, 
it's, it's it doesn't say the Jews are grafted. It says quite the contrary <laughs> that the Christians are grafted. We're the windows have moved. Tell you, say your statement. Oh yes. Remember, always be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. Restore the Bible to our culture, and it's brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.